Welcome to this latest episode in the Project Edward 2021 podcast. My name's James Luckhurst, and I'm pleased to be joined for this programme by Joe Shiner, Chief Constable of Sussex and the recently appointed Rhodes Policing Lead for the National Police Chiefs Council. And by Ruth Purdy OBE, Chief Executive of UK ROED, the organisation responsible for the management of the National Driver Offender Retraining Scheme. We'll be looking for opportunities to kickstart the sort of reductions in road death and serious injury that have been missing not just in this country but across most of Europe for more than a decade now. Where do these opportunities lie? And also what's being done to make roads policing more visible and to remind drivers that compliance with the law is not optional? A little later, we'll meet Chris Spinks from Wescatec and Jeff Collins from Yanoptic. Both are supporters of Project Edward and both work in the business of keeping people safe on the roads. We'll be looking in particular at effective measures for ensuring that drivers use speeds that are both legal and safe. But for now, I'm very pleased to welcome Chief Constable Joe Shiner, holder of the NPCC Roads Policing Portfolio and Ruth Purdy OBE from UK ROED. Joe Shiner, let me start with you and ask you to explain exactly what's involved in leading the NPCC roads policing portfolio. Well, I think if we get to the actual core of what it's about, the core of what it's about is making sure that we're working together um, with partners to reduce the number of uh, people who are killed or seriously injured on our roads. That's actually the core of what I think I'm here to lead that portfolio to do and probably what we're all here to do as well. The slightly more technical answer, I guess, is about the fact that we're overseeing the National Roads Policing Strategy and working with other chief constables to coordinate all of that road policing activity across the country but very very much working in partnership with everybody else who does really valuable contributions towards that Uh, so about raising strategic matters understanding what the evidence is telling us understanding where we can have the greatest impact setting those priorities working with other partners and also making sure that we're really effectively communicating particularly some of those messages that will prevent uh, those road deaths and serious injuries uh, across the country is it a role you volunteered for Uh, and if so why Oh, I mean, I feel incredibly privileged uh, to have this role. Uh, and uh, it is uh, it's a National Police Chiefs Council portfolio, uh, but I did absolutely volunteer for it. It's very, very close to my heart. Uh, my family, I lost my father in a road accident when I was a teenager. And so I've seen firsthand the impact that actually having someone killed on the roads has on a family. Uh, and it's partly why I joined policing. Uh, and it's absolute fate that when this portfolio came up, I was happily and very luckily in a position to be able to hopefully influence some of that strategy, practice and action in the future to be able to prevent other families and loved ones from going through what our family arguably is still going through. We've seen no appreciable reductions in the number of people killed and seriously injured on our roads for probably more than a decade now. Do you sense any opportunities to kickstart some sustained reductions? And and if so, where do those opportunities lie? And who do you need as partners in order to boost your chances of success? I do. I, not only do I sense the opportunities, but I think we all have an absolute duty to make sure that we're exploiting those opportunities and taking every single uh, sort of active option that we can uh, to try to reduce both those fatalities and also serious injuries on the road. 
Um, and some of those obviously do come from technology, both in terms of the technology that people are using, which actually causes accidents, uh, whether that's texting whilst driving, whether it's, you know, arguably some of the, the enhanced stuff that cars, lorries, etc. have, but actually also making sure that we're exploiting the preventative technology uh, that the motor vehicle industry is working hard to develop as well. So that's just one of those areas where I think we can work particularly with partners, whether it's commercial, whether it's statutory, whether it's voluntary agencies. I think also there is much about making sure that we can influence behaviour. I think there's never been a greater opportunity to do that and to link that perhaps with some of the environmental challenges uh, that we have um, and some obviously of the technology to assist us um, with reducing the speed at which people drive at as well. So there's a huge range uh, of different opportunities that we absolutely have a duty, uh, both from a statutory basis, but also from a moral and ethical basis uh, to exploit and do our very best to influence. One area where there's regular media attention is the issue of too many drivers escaping disqualification through the exceptional hardship law. What's your view? Because it's a law that doesn't appear to deliver justice and it certainly doesn't reduce danger on our roads. I think that there is almost a question that comes before that uh, or, or a position that comes before that. And for me, it's about how do we influence individuals to take personal responsibility for the decisions that they take either before or after they get behind the wheel. And by that, I mean that actually the actions that led that person to become disqualified in the first place are arguably the point at which their decision making meant that others would or could suffer. So for me, it's that first point about changing minds and influencing behaviours. But of course, there is absolutely our role in policing is about putting the evidence before the courts. Uh, and then, of course, it's the courts to decide the most appropriate um, action or sanction. Uh, but of course, we would want to influence that because if someone does not have a license and they get behind the wheel, for me, that is an incredibly serious offence. Studies show that when enforcement increases, compliance improves and casualties reduce. So can we safely assume that you're already pushing hard to make roads policing much more visible? Uh, absolutely. Uh, that, that, that's got to be the key, hasn't it? Um, we've been using uh, the four E's during COVID to influence people's behaviour. I actually think that translates brilliantly across to the way in which we would want to influence behaviour on the roads and the decisions that people make. And of course, that's all about engaging. It's all about educating. It's all about enforcing. It's all about all sorts of things. In fact, there's probably about 10 E's when you talk about the ethics of policing, enforcing speed, making sure we're doing it for the right reasons in order to reduce the speed so we reduce the manner of injuries that are caused and certainly the number of deaths on the road but we're all trying to save lives here um, and if you drive at an inappropriate or unlawful, unlawful speed or you take drink or drugs and then drive you absolutely put yourself and others at more risk than is necessary and of course if you don't wear seat belts you put yourself at more risk uh, and, and, and are less likely to survive a collision. Um, so there's a whole host, really, of uh, actions and behaviours that, again, it comes back to people taking personal responsibility, listening to the advice that others give, and then making sure that their behaviours on the road 
uh, in whatever way, whether a pedestrian, a motorcycle rider, a, 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 um, wh- however you use the road, those behaviours should be responsible. What's your thinking on the idea of, you know, you see an officer in a white hat on a street corner that, and the influence that can have so that is is massive, in, in my opinion. What do you think? To be honest with you, I think that anything that can influence positively the way in which people drive uh, or ride or use the road space has to be a good thing. Because if that causes that person to either put their seatbelt on or slow down or encourages people not to use mobile phones or all of those other things which we know increase the severity of injuries or the number of casualties, then frankly, I'm absolutely for it. Uh, Because it's those things that will have the impact on those families and on those victims. And of course, what we must also not forget is the impact that it has on those frontline people whether it's police officers, whether it's ambulance, whether it's fire rescue crew who actually have to extract people from some of those collisions, the impact on those frontline workers is significant in terms of, uh, you know, what they have to see and deal with every day as well. So I'm really open uh, and are looking wide across the portfolio and partners for any of those tactics, those actions, the education, the prevention, the enforcement to reduce road deaths and to reduce uh, serious uh, collisions as well. I'm going to ask you one more question before we, we meet Ruth Purdy, if I may, and perhaps we could turn our attention to the UK, the UK's reputation as a leader in road safety globally. Uh, what contribution do you think roads policing has made to this and how exportable are some UK tactics and strategies We do have a reasonable strength of law. So, for example, our drink driving laws are really quite specific. And we've also seen a strengthening of the law around mobile phone use, uh, the introduction of mobile um, tests for drugs, for example. And, of course, we also promote very much education as an alternative to prosecution if that's proportionate to do so. Um, We should never be complacent. There is always more to do. And there is definitely uh, some of our law, which I'll be seeking to influence um, within the portfolio. But I do think that our roads policing officers and indeed our wider agencies that assist us, whether it's highways agencies or others, we do our very, very best uh, to try to educate, to enforce and therefore to prevent some of those killed and serious injuries, collisions on the road. Joe Shiner, thank you very much. Now, our, our other guest for this episode is Ruth Purdy, OBE, Chief Executive of UK Road. I'm sure she'll have been interested in what you're saying there about the educational alternatives that the UK does well. Um, UK Road's the organisation responsible for the central governance, standards and consistency of the Police National Driver Offender Retraining Scheme. The role of UK Road is to assist police forces to offer high quality courses consistently in all force areas so as to change behaviour and play an important part in the reduction of collisions, death and injury to road users. So quite a responsibility. Um, Ruth, you're very welcome. Can you sum up the past 18 months for you and for UK Road, perhaps in three words? Um, the past 18 months um, for UK Road have been challenging. Um, but also inspiring at the same time. We can never really return the scheme to what it was before the pandemic. Things have changed, and they've changed, in my view, for the better. We have gone online with a virtual platform, training delivery, and we're slowly now reintroducing the classroom. But whatever we do, we must make sure 
that we have public confidence and safety at the heart of everything that we plan. So the future for us means that we can now offer courses to more groups and really increase our diversity of access to people who wish to do either an online course or a classroom course, both of which have been designed by academics uh, to make sure that we do deliver behavioural change approaches, which give people who are attending the course the very best opportunity to reflect on some of the decisions they may have made, their driving behaviour, and hopefully to improve their own driving and their consideration of other road users post the course. Take us back to March 2020, and when when COVID came and the lockdowns began, cancelling the physical courses was not just like delaying a meeting or saying, oh, sorry, we can't do that. I mean, we're talking about judicial outcomes for upwards of a million people each year. That must have been a massive job to try and work out what to do next and and how to put an, uh, an alternative in place. Just talk us through how you did it. Well, it was a huge collaborative effort, James, from police forces, course providers, trainers, um, our academic team who worked to design a course that meets the behavioural change science that is that underpins everything we do. Um, so we started off with quality, a redesign, uh, an ambition to understand the online platforms, which were new to many people, and working hard to offer support to the public so that they could access the course should they choose to do so. Um, Joe Shiner, perhaps we can just ask you about that. The From the police perspective, the um, adaptability of those courses must have been a big weight off your mind because of the huge number of people that it affected. What we know is that those courses are incredibly impactive, uh, that when people attend them, it really does change both their minds about why we do speeding enforcement, but also their behaviours when they then go back on the roads. And so it was really, really important that during COVID, you know, when we were not able to actually get people in the room to do those courses, we were still able to continue them. And I was incredibly impressed uh, by how quickly and flexibly UK Road were able to turn their courses, you know, from the physical ones into those online courses. Um, and, and it was really quite incredibly impressive. And I have absolutely no doubt that the way in which UK Road did that uh, will have saved lives and prevented serious injuries from those people who attended those online courses rather than, you know, the physical ones. Now, no one could have foreseen the huge impact of COVID, but I guess we can all see the potentially significant other changes on the horizon in, in the way we get around. I'm thinking of electric cars, autonomous vehicles, perhaps more uptake of cycling, walking, maybe even legalising e-scooters. So, Ruth, I'll get you to gaze into your crystal ball. What do you regard as opportunities for UK Road and what might be the threats in the years to come? I think my previous time as a police officer has taught me that out of every crisis, if you seek to learn and evaluate, you always create new opportunities. And I think one of the key things that we as an organisation are very keen to achieve is that we must emerge stronger and more informed about the scheme that we deliver and make sure that at the heart of that is public confidence. So we have learned that we can respond quickly with partners, that there is a huge will to make things happen. And that means that we can still deliver the behavioural change opportunities 
that everybody involved in the scheme, supported by the Roads Policing Chief Lead, Joe Shiner, uh, means that we can actually deliver a quality product that does influence driver behaviour and does make a difference. It's been hard because we've had to really understand the IT platforms, the diversity of access for people attending the courses, and to make sure that we deliver a consistent standard amongst 22 providers. But moving forward, we're now introducing classroom courses again, which means that we can offer access to a much broader section of society, which means that more people who are eligible for a course can, if they wish to do so, attend one. And what we do know is from our research from those people who attend courses, that over 89% of attendees say that is making them a more considerate road user. And I think that is what we're all here trying to achieve. Ruth, thank you so much. I'm going to um, ask both of you now, uh, as we conclude this discussion, um, I'm going well, to offer you three wishes that you would like to have granted for a safer road environment, for, for a reduction in road harm, for you know, a better experience for everyone who, who needs to use the road. So, Joe Shiner, first of all, what would your three wishes be? Firstly, uh, I would want anybody who uses the road space to take greater personal responsibility when doing so and really think about the consequences on others of their own behaviours and actions. The second would be that we continue the real strength of collaboration and joint working between different partner agencies, whether statutory, whether voluntary or others, so that we work together to prevent people from becoming victims and families from suffering the loss of their loved one or looking after their loved ones when they're seriously injured. And I think thirdly, if I had one wish, it would be that any one of my frontline road policing officers, family liaison officers or others never, ever, ever has to knock on anyone's door again to tell that family that their loved one has been killed in a road, in, in a road accident. Joe, thank you so much. Uh, Ruth, your three wishes? My three wishes, James, are very similar. Um, I'd like to see a lifelong education programme for road users, starting at school age, right the way through to taking your test, um, cycling, uh, whether you're driving for work, um, right through to being an older driver and what that means for you. So I'd like to see that lifelong system introduced. My second wish would be that we have a national strategy that engages all departments of government and all key partners and that we see road safety in every strategy, not just the police. And my last wish, because like Joe, I have lost family members and that experience never leaves you. It also never leaves communities either who are affected by it. So I'd like to see greater value by our society on those people who are affected by the loss of life or life-changing injuries on our roads. Ruth Purdy from UK Road, and before that, Chief Constable Joe Shiner, the Roads Policing Portfolio Holder for the NPCC. Thank you both very much. Well, I'm now very pleased to be joined by Jeff Collins of Yenoptic and Chris Spinks, 
of Westcatech, both supporting Project Edward this year, for which many thanks. Jeff and Chris, I thought it would be interesting as part of this podcast just to go through a few popular myths connected with speeding and perhaps dispel them or let us know if they're right or wrong. The first one I've got, do speed cameras have to be painted yellow? And if they're not painted yellow, they're illegal. Who'd like to take that one? Uh, um, Jeff, since we, we met in North Wales next to some yellow cameras not long ago, it, true or false? It, it's not true that a camera has to be yellow. There, there used to be DFT guidance, which said that um, cameras needed to be painted a particular colour in order to, to make them obvious to drivers on the road. But um, that, that is, it is just guidance now. A camera can be pretty much any colour you like, but an awful lot of them are still going to be painted yellow or orange or be retro-reflective because they draw attention to themselves. And the whole idea really should be to try and deter people from speeding rather than to have them looking out trying to see where they're being caught. Chris, let me come to you on that because your cameras don't enforce, do they? They're kind of informative or they, they try and help people before it gets too late. So what colours do you employ or is that entirely in the hands of your customers? Well, we do... We do a small ANPR system, which is painted yellow around Heathrow Airport, but we've also developed one, which is an automatic speed watch camera, which is painted black because they wanted a differentiation between speed cameras and speed watch, where the, the, the image is taken and, and then the uh, offending driver will get a warning letter from the speed watch system. Our other signs, which are all purely advisory, Westcatech doesn't undertake any form of enforcement. We're all about education, but unfortunately there is an element of the Great British motoring public who will never comply, and that is where Jeff's equipment comes into its own, because the only way you will deal with those sort of people is prosecution, and if, if necessary, ultimately getting them off the road. Myth number two, then. You can speed between average speed camera sites and then slow down when passing them. Um, Jeff, over to you. Well, you absolutely can choose to speed between them if you want to and then slow down, but it's not going to help because um, when you understand the concept of average, um, it is the overall average time it takes you to travel between one of the usually very distinctive yellow columns and another one. And, and a further thing to bear in mind is that um, one of the benefits of a, of a well-designed average speed solution is that it shouldn't be obvious exactly what it's doing, where and when. The idea is to change people's behaviour over a long section of road, typically a route, because there has historically been a problem along that route. So it might be camera one is communicating with camera 10, or it could be camera two is communicating with camera three. Um, and so if you think you can trick the system by driving slowly at certain areas and then speeding up, it's quite likely that you'd get a little bit of a rude surprise with a letter through the door. But as I said, it's very much around the effectiveness of the visual deterrent, which should hopefully stop people from even wanting to speed up and then slow down between cameras. So it will not help you at all to slow down at an average speed camera. I mean, there's a whole industry, isn't there, developed around legal loopholes and trying to get people off speeding offences and all that type of thing. Certainly, I mean, my background is that I was a roads policing officer for some years, retired as a, as a roads policing chief inspector, and we were accused of not being fair when we used unmarked vehicles. And I've always been a bit stuffy about it and said, look, I'm sorry, road safety is not a game. I will take you to meet a family who've lost a loved one 
and you'll see that road safety isn't a game it's not about chasing speeders up and down the road it's not about you know drivers knowing what's best and trying to avoid areas and and that type of thing it is about people behaving responsibly and driving sensibly and both jeff's company and mine yes we're in business and obviously to survive we have to make money but we are both very very passionate about people getting home safely after their journey and nobody has the right to go out there drive dangerously and play the risk with somebody else's life here we go with myth number three it may be a myth it may be fact but maybe just hand this to you chris from your former career in uh, in roads policing i can't be fined if i drive too slowly true or false that is false you can be fined if you drive too slowly there is an offence of uh, driving without due consideration for other road users and I would hazard a guess that if you were driving down one of the overtaking lanes in a motorway at 25 miles an hour with absolutely no reason to do that then you could be committing an offence of dangerous driving because you would be putting all of those people around you at risk. An important caveat to that would be what the other traffic around you is doing because all too often we may be driving down uh, an overtaking lane on a motorway at 20 miles an hour simply because everyone around us is doing the same thing. Um, so it's in relation as so much is to do with road safety. It's the differential between what one vehicle is doing and the other vehicles around it, which is the key safety element. Let's go for our fourth and final myth, which is if I change lanes whilst driving through an average speed camera system, they'll not be able to detect my speed. So I'll be all right. Over to you, Jeff. Oh, this takes me way back to 2004 when uh, I was being grilled by the Daily Mail on this very issue. Um, a long, long, long time ago, it is true that average speed technology was limited by the uh, approvals process to only enforce the same lane the vehicle entered that it left. But that was many, many, many years ago. Um, and thanks to the good campaigning work of the Daily Mail, uh, that was changed fairly quickly through track testing and documentation that allows any lane in to any lane out um, when using uh, an average speed enforcement solution. So where you have a multiple lane road, the all of the in lanes and all of the out lanes are linked all of the time. So there is absolutely no benefit uh, to changing lane to try and avoid detection because it will not work. Let's finish with a tip from each of you that might help somebody driving for staying safe and compliant speeds, how to keep your speeds safe and compliant. And I'll start with Jeff, if I may. Any speed limit is not a target. It's not an objective. It is there to encourage drivers to be aware of what the maximum safe speed is on that given section of road. And so I would encourage anybody just to be fully aware of the conditions around them, the type of road, what is happening um, to other vehicles in the area, while taking into account the speed limit but fundamentally concentrate on the road ahead don't concentrate on your speedo and lastly then to chris spinks any final tip from you based on your many years in roads policing and in your current position and providing road safety equipment what what would your top tip be it's all about concentration and it's all about awareness people get so frustrated if they don't drive at the speed limit that's posted but that is not always the safe speed to drive at take into account weather conditions heavy rain slippery roads traffic conditions all of those things play a part in what is a safe speed to drive at and it's no good someone saying well i thought this road was a 30 or a 40 or 50 because they need to be fully aware of 
the conditions of the, the, the road they're driving on and the speed limit for that road. And if you're in doubt, slow down a bit. Don't drive close to the vehicle in front. And it is about concentration, awareness, bearing in mind that you are responsible for the safety of the people in your vehicle and those all around you on the road. That was Chris Spinks from Wescatech. I was also talking to Jeff Collins of Yenoptic. And that concludes business in this latest episode of the Project Edward podcast. In two weeks' time, we'll be less than three days from the start of the Project Edward Week of Action. So we'll look forward to showcasing some of the amazing stopping off points scheduled for our three action-packed road trips. If you want to comment on anything you've heard today, please do join the conversation on Twitter using the hashtag Project Edward. The producer for this episode was Peter Baker. My name's James Larkhurst. Thanks for listening. <laughs>